Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 333 and part two of my conversation with the director of percussion activities at Webster University in Missouri, as well as freelancing percussionist Aaron Elsner. Let's get right to it. Last week, which I hope you had a chance to listen to, we got introduced to Erin and her career, her roles at Webster, her many years as a freelancer and student in New York City, her time in Taiwan, and her years growing up in the Midwest. This week, we finish out our interview with Erin with discussions of her very active freelance career post-undergrad, issues regarding the COVID pandemic and mental health, and our usual close to the podcast, including discussions of her love of suspense movies and an incredibly moving story about a former student that closes the show. You don't want to miss that, so let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on January 31st, 2023, and it begins right now. In New York, do you do you just get the one degree or do you are you there for a couple or Yeah, no, I so I got my performance degree and then I just started performing and so I mean, I played in just like anyone there, you know, that grind of like so many things. I mean, more than I probably would even remember. Do you have anything in that time? Because you said 12 years you, after your undergrad, you spent 12 years there or is it's what, eight or something like or is it? Yeah. Actually- yeah. So that's that's including that time. OK, so the so the years post undergrad. Yeah. Are, do you have anything that's kind of an anchor or is it literally like you are just a freelancer Definitely just a freelancer. Well, well, that's not totally true. Um, I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily call these anchors, but um, they had regularity. I was a teaching artist through Carnegie Hall. They had an outreach program. And so you would uh, go into um, city schools like once a week, once, twice a month and work with students. Mm -hmm. Of course, I loved that so much. Oh, I miss it because talk about not dealing with privilege. Right, sure. You're now dealing with the antithesis of that and really being, you know, a a real force in, in many of these students' lives. And so uh, that was incredibly rewarding and impactful for me personally, hopefully for them as well. So I did that. And I also taught through the Third Street Settlement on Third Street, <laughs> um, which was kind of a community arts center. And um, through Third Street, I would also do teaching like periodically within schools. Um, but it it wasn't a daily thing, but it was a steady thing. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then in combination, yes, with literally just freelancing in every possible capacity. I joined a few bands. But one was the more significant of the bands that I joined. And it was an interesting thing. Uh, I went to a party and a friend of mine introduced me to a guy who was a singer songwriter. And she was like, oh, you know, this is my friend. He, He has a gig coming up. You should come to his show. I went to it and it was kind of like a, oh, like a, a, an indie pop trio. 
Sure. And it was like guitar based drums. He was like, oh man, you know, so you, you play percussion. That'd be really cool to like, you know, include you in our band. And I'm thinking like, I'm not going to get up there and just play the tambourine. No, not happening. Right, sure. And so, so I was like, you know, listening to your stuff, what would be really cool would be like vibes. And he's like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Do you own vibes? And I was like, no, but if I did, that would be a really cool element for this. And he's like, oh man, okay. The next day, I am not making this up. A friend of mine in Queens called me and was like, hey, there's this church down the street that's had a set of vibes sitting outside and they're just wanting to like give them to someone. Do you have any interest? And I was like, you guys, Do I? You guys are kidding me. I don't care if these are covered in rust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm there. When it was signed me up. So I get this set of vibes that I still have to this day. And they weren't in terrible condition. And it was like a pit vibraphone. It's a Japanese brand, pit vibraphone. And it's like, motherfucker like this is this is crazy and so so I called the guy up and I was like welp I guess uh our uh our prayers were answered because I got this vibraphone and he's like you gotta be kidding me so um I joined that band and so that band then ended up being fleshed out and including guitar bass drums vibes cello trumpet and saxophone it was still kind of like a, and almost like an Alex Chilton, like big star. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, we played mostly almost all originals that the singer songwriter, uh, head of the group uh, wrote. Mark cool. wrote what was the name of the group? Champale. Champale. Okay. Yeah. And so we started playing around town. We uh, had a rehearsal space and we really kind of started developing a following. And so we were playing all over at all the main clubs that you'd play at Mercury Lounge and Brownies and Bowery Ballroom. And, and um, it was great. I loved playing in that group. It was, you know, I wrote my own parts for all the songs. And so that was cool. And, and then um, our drummer in that group was also the drummer in the band Not a Surf. Oh yeah, okay. And Ira <laughs> yeah, so he was our drummer. And then when Not a Surf would go on tour, our other drummer was this guy named Lee Wall, and he was the drummer for a band called Luna. Okay. And they were with yeah, Dean Wareham. Um, they were awesome. So we had two amazing drummers that you know would we'd swap in and out. And so we played for a while we were featured in various things that uh there was a famous illustrator that did a caricature of us in the new yorker mm. um so lots of fun publicity things with that and then ultimately we were signed to a record label um that was owned by david lowry of camper van beethoven and cracker mm-hmm. um, based out of athens georgia and so we we signed on to that, and it was Pitch a Tent Records, and um, re- did a full album. Uh, went down to to Athens and did a, an album there, and um, uh, did some small tours in that area. 
um, in the Athens, Atlanta area. Yeah, I mean, we got to play with Clem Snide, um, with Luna, with Nada Surf, with um, the Red House Painters. Um, we did all of these these little tours, and then um, yeah, I just kept kept playing and writing new stuff, and then I moved to Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> so I through that and through that scene I ended up playing in a bunch of other bands and recording on a bunch of different bands records mm. um so I did a lot of that kind of stuff and then in addition to that playing in different orchestras playing in different uh, off-Broadway things playing in friends projects I mean, all the things that you just do, it's like someone has a gig. Okay, this is, you know, a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there. And so just eking out a living. And I feel like, God, it's been so long, but I feel like I was fine. I certainly was not saving money. Sure. But I wasn't starving. Like I was just, I was, I was breaking even. I was fine, Uh, which I thought was success at that time, certainly. That's yeah, that's what I was doing uh post post undergrad. Yeah. Where in New York were you living? Gosh. And, and follow up on that before you answer that is where was your equipment? <laughs> yeah. Uh all all great questions. I this is this is so much fun. Um I lived on the Upper West Side in several places. Um I lived in our school dorm. Um, well, no, prior to that, I lived at like 94th and Broadway in like an efficiency studio apartment. And then I lived in our school dorm, which was this hotel, um, the Hotel Lucerne. But, you know, in New York, you know, that sounds really fancy. And it's just like, you know, a crappy apartment building that just has. <laughs> a yeah. um, it's like, oh, this, yes, it's the Hotel Lucerne. And inside it's like water's dripping, the lights right, yeah. dangling. I love this old lamp decor. I was like, well, it's, it's just an old lamp. Actually. That's exactly right. They're like, this place has character. It's like, you mean the floor is slanted? <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. Yes. So uh-huh. I, I I lived in that uh, my first year of college. And then, gosh, just again, fortunate life. Um, there was a woman who had posted an ad on our school bulletin board saying um, free housing for two students in exchange for walking dogs and lighthouse work. And she lived in this absolutely stunning four-story brownstone, like a block away from our school. Oh my goodness. And so I was like, oh, sign me up. And so I got to live for the last, the remaining years of college in this beautiful beautiful historic brownstone with giant windows and all the old woodwork and millwork inside and its own private garden and I love dogs so uh, that was even better it wasn't a chore it was like I get I get to be around dogs and walk them and take them to Central Park I mean this is amazing like what and the light housekeeping was like n- non-existent. It was just like make sure you keep the place clean. Yeah, yeah. And she was an act. Uh, she had been an actress, and she was still doing some acting, but was retired. 
And so she was a super interesting, highly intelligent person and had this massive library. And she would let us use like the parlor there to practice and have people over. And oh, it was just what a time to, to be in that place. And so when school ended, because it was only for students, um, then I moved to the to Alphabet City. And at the time it was like Sixth Street and Avenue C. <laughs> we paid our landlord out of a garage. I don't know if he even actually owned the building. He might, I think, you know, he <laughs> like <laughs> in the, <laughs> the you mean in quotes, landlord. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We lived there through several of the big blizzards in New York when like all the cars were covered and people were skiing down the streets and but a super vibrant neighborhood. It was just like, don't go past Avenue C uh, if you want to live. Mm-hmm. I lived there and then I lived a, f- a few blocks south, like on Houston in a space uh, quite near Mercury Lounge. And then I moved from there to Brooklyn. And I lived in Park Slope uh, for a while, which was beautiful. And then I lived in Sunset Park. Uh, No, and then after Sunset Park, I lived in Washington Heights. That was also amazing because it was like a fully Hispanic neighborhood. It's so funny to me after living there. I lived in a huge loft with about seven other people, um, most of whom were from Latin American countries Mm -hmm. and they were all amazing and the place was great, but we were right by like Fort Tyrone park and the cloisters and you'd go outside and everyone was speaking Spanish. And it was such just a kind of normal part of, you know, you take the A train up there. Then it was like, Oh, they've come out with a new musical in the Heights. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. Really? And so it's just funny how life works, you know, it's like, have you heard of this? I think it's about a neighborhood. It's like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I think I know. I think I know where that is. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, New York is a place for me that I still love, that I still have very, you know, fond memories of. And I love to go and, and visit and spend time with friends as much as possible. Um, would I live there again now? It's certainly a question that comes up periodically. And boy, you know, I may have had a different answer pre-COVID. Sure. Knowing how many of my friends literally almost starved right. during COVID. And these are friends of mine that are highly skilled professional musicians. Yeah. You know, it's like, as you know, what we can afford here and what this uh, cost of living and just um, everything that this allows. It's like, I still get to do everything I love. I do feel like it's different for me coming to this place now, having done all of those other things. If I hadn't, I maybe would feel a little less romantic about the notion of being here in St. Louis, but it affords me then the choice and the options to travel and go where I want to go when I want to go there and to not have to, you know, really feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to pay my bills? 
Sure. Kind of the ways you've described yourself, and I was kind of thinking of this kind of in the long view here. Are you someone who, do you get restless? Because <laughs> if everything's, I don't know if this is like a function of you just fill up your time because you fill up your time, you like doing stuff, or are you like, no, I have to have things going on, or I'm like literally not happy? You, boy, you ask some very astute questions. <laughs> So it has been kind of the bane of my existence and the number one um, critique of me by various people in my life that it's, you know, certainly I have been dubbed a workaholic and uh-huh. um, you don't know how to relax. You don't know how to stop doing things um, to me that seem very normal. And um, I feel like they're assets Mm-hmm. Other people would would and very clearly have deemed, you know, uh, problematic. I certainly don't feel like my energy level or kind of my modus operandi is um, anxiety um, driven. It is hard for me to just, in, uh, in my words, languish. Sure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This notion of just like, I'm just going to chill out all day and do nothing mm-hmm. is that's almost stressful for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just don't, I don't relate. And so I've tried, I think I've gotten better over the years. And it's certainly not like if I know that I am deliberately taking a vacation, yeah. which I love doing. Mm-hmm. And let's say I go, I'm going to go to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to chill there. I will chill. Yeah. I'm not there going, oh my God, let me, you know, produce something. Right. Yeah. I know how to, I know how to chill. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> but in general, I just feel like it's a combination of being passionate about what I do. Therefore, not wanting to waste time, knowing that there, we have a finite amount of time. I feel like, oh my gosh, there's always things to accomplish, things to learn, ways to be productive, ways that you can help others. Um, how can I be, it's, it's, it's funny. It's just, it's not a, it's not a conscious thing. It's just like, uh, you're right. I guess it's just a state of being, it's a state of mind. Yes. I'm guilty of it. Oh, <laughs> I was not. I was not casting aspersions when I asked. That question. I hope you were. Anyhow, yeah. fair, fair enough. No, that, that's good. I, I was. I was thinking when the pandemic did like hit full on. What did you end up doing? I mean, obviously you were teaching, so yeah. That yeah. was, a, as you know, that was an incredibly stressful time to just try to figure out. Yeah. To do this yeah. job. I was teaching and then um, I love cooking. And so I threw myself into cooking like super intricate things. <laughs> so I, I I cooked all kinds of very elaborate dishes from different countries and things. Um, I spent a lot of time outdoors. Mm. Um, and it's funny because I think about that actually in real time. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I spent so much time hiking. Mm. And just taking walks and being outside. I mean, there probably wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't outside walking or hiking, hiking in the woods, walking around parks, 
Um, for a myriad of reasons, I do like, you know, being in shape and exercising, but I think probably you're right. That part of me, that's just a, a somewhat restless. It's like, okay, I need to like get out of the house and move around and it's COVID. So I can't be around other people, but I can be outside hiking. And, yeah. and so I did a lot of that. Well, um, that was frequently the most, the safest place. Yeah actually. And, and it's beautiful outside. And so, you know, why not? Um, I also have, uh, dogs. Mm. And so I spent time with them, of course. And they need to be walked and And they need to be walked. Yes. I really love gardening. And so I, um, grow a fair amount of things that I use in cooking. And so it's interesting because at that time I certainly did a lot more of that than I do now. Sure. Um, and certainly not today when it's 15. No, no, certainly not today. <laughs> and those little things that I do now in moderation in ways that they actually fit into my schedule, mm-hmm. I just did on a grander scale at sure. that. And certainly um, having drinks, having virtual drinks with friends yeah, yeah, and chatting with friends and, uh, practicing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah awesome. At the time living, uh, alone and, yeah. uh, during COVID and my colleagues are all married and have mm-hmm. kids. And so I would talk, check in with my colleagues and I'd go, well, God, you guys, you know, at least you have people there. I'm by myself like all the time. And they'd go, stop bragging. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, fine, I will. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is something to be said for having your own space. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Erin, I finish up with a segment called random ask questions. Okay. All right. Uh, first question, the first for you are are definitely not random and they're more related to the profession, but the first one is what's an issue in percussion performance or percussion education that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Mm, Jeez. Um, when people do not do their due diligence with regard to indigenous music and try to pass things off as like go Latin. That was, oh my gosh, that's, that's a running joke with myself and another colleague or someone who I work with in the band where we're just like Latin style, Latin it up, you know, like, that's right. Yeah, exactly. One of the shows we played this last summer in the drummer's book, it just said Egypt. (laughs) What, what what does that even mean? (laughs) Oh, come on. I mean, at this stage, you can Google anything. So even if you don't have an expert at your disposal, come on, like take the extra step and learn like, you know, is this a Latin rhythm? What kind of Latin rhythm? What country does it come from? What instrument typically plays it? You know, I was just looking at something about, you know, there's the guiro and then there's the guira and totally different instruments played, you know, the guira played in the Dominican Republic and it's that metal kind of cheese grater looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the guiro. And you can find, I know that, but you can find that in five minutes by just Googling, you know, that country, the instrument, the style. Oh, what this is, is this merengue? Is this, you know, 
whatever and and you know really paying allegiance to that because i do think it also is about respecting the world cultures yeah All right, next question, and you could take this anywhere you want, but navigating the percussion world as a woman. Yeah, so it's something that I've, I've, gosh, I've spent time thinking about um, at times more or less in my life. I, when I was growing up as a female percussionist, I was the only female in my middle school um, drum line and percussion section, same as my high school, same as most of my undergrad. And then as a teacher, uh, as a p- college professor, almost all of the students. Because, and so you'd think like, oh, that's so sad. But at the time for me, because that was so status quo, I never even thought about it. No one treated me any differently. And so I didn't have to deal with anything um untoward at that time and i didn't have to 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 lead with that ever like that wasn't ever it never had to be a part of my identity like oh a female whatever mm-hmm. um, as i got older it became more of a thing and that's you know certainly through maturity and self-reflection and 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 choosing to pursue this as a career then it became more like oh wow hang on. And of course it getting a little irritating at that point to about, um, let's say six, seven years ago, people going, Oh, wow. A female or, um, you, you play the drum really almost this, like, it's just unbelievable. Like, are are you sure you actually do this? And so that got a little annoying. It's like, really? And, and even that, you know, I, I kind of met personally with, well, if they haven't seen it very much, it is surprising. Sure. So, you know, maybe try to not take offense to that. There was a period in my life where I I, I felt so proud of the female percussionists and drummers in the world when there were fewer of them because it is changing. Um, that I wanted to go, like, I had this idea that I was going to go around and interview all of them and put together a book and things. Yeah. Um, but I got busy. Um, but um, it certainly makes me very happy to see that trend changing and and things shifting in that regard. And um, I certainly now teach plenty of female students and it is becoming less um, of, of a rarity and I love that, that it just, um, you know, uh, there are certain things I will, I'm sorry that I'm, this probably is not going to go over well with certain people. There are things that I, I'll put it this way, give me pause, such as the hit like a girl uh, competition. Mm. Um, um, I get the inspiration behind it. I get the, the, the motivation. I wish that it was just, can you play the drums? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Taking back that term and taking ownership of hit like a girl. And, you know, maybe now that means like, yeah, slay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it, it, I wish that it just wasn't necessary that it's just, Oh, okay. are you a musician? Can you play this instrument? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope we reached that point. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, I hear you. That's it. I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way of that particular um, competition or, yeah. or idea. Um, it's funny because I I've was someone I've interviewed runs Girls March. Do you know about that? Yeah. Um, and and but it's someone who is very like it, and it's one of those where they take uh, you know women in who who do lots of things in the marching world. And they they come together and they run like a whole drum camp um, and pull from lots of women who are in this activity that is his, like very, very few yeah, like, yeah. do it. And it's, so it's like one of those things where um, the kind of the point of that one is uh, you may never see, uh, you know, a woman teching a, a bass drum line or yeah. a snare line and that. And it's like, see, this is a possibility. Yeah. You yeah, know. absolutely. I mean, certainly through representation in any way, you know, through either racially, gender, um, we we absolutely make those things then um, uh, uh, viable for uh, at least potential, potentially um, viable for future students and younger, younger students. All right. So other questions, these are these will definitely get random now. Um, okay. So most impractical item of clothing you own. uh to perform in or just no just just gen just anything (laughs) Uh (laughs) what kind of show is this (laughs) it's my show (laughs) thank you for being on it eric yeah We did say uh, go uncensored. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I do have this odd, it's like almost a quasi like later hosen uh, leather apron dress. Okay. That I got in Germany. And uh-huh. um, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's this almost like Heidi meets. Um, uh, 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 um, Joan Jett. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, where would you wear that? Sure. It's too, it's too kind of uh, uh, dainty. Yeah. Too, um, sexy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but sure. it's it's too sexy to be um, appropriate for I don't know uh, school meeting. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Faculty meeting, of course. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, you. that'd be a little odd for me to show yeah. up on something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're doing something. It was like, what's going on with you, Aaron? I'm like, I'm at the meeting. Like, yeah, what, what, yeah. what are you wearing? <laughs> yeah. Don't judge. You, you you just you just always have to turn that right back around. Like, <laughs> why are you wearing that today, yeah, Don? That's right. Whatever, that's you know? right. <laughs> Let's, do you want to talk about your your attire today? Yes. <laughs> yeah. God. How old is that tie? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Um, so, uh, you know, you mentioned the cooking, and but what's your biggest kitchen mess up? Oh God, there's so many. You know, because when we experiment, there's obviously. Um, disasters along the way sure um my biggest kitchen mess up was probably a time that i tried to make 
some kind of like grilled shrimp and I forgot that I had put the grill on high and I had gone in and was like, oh, because typically for something like that, you know, it would be on super low yeah. and came out and it was just like hunks of black on these skewers. And I'm <laughs> certain I had people coming over and I was like, oh God. <laughs> and so I had to whip something up. I mean, that's the one, the easiest one off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are plenty more. <laughs> sure, did you call the the shrimp were they delicacies after that point or, or? <laughs> uh yeah right it's like no 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 no. this was just um you know in in remote parts of taiwan um you know they they don't really have temperature gauges and things on their cooking devices so you know sometimes things get a little singed and they yeah. eat them and you know here's a here's a duck sauce so just <laughs> You know, you won't taste, it won't taste any different. <laughs> Duck sauce makes everything better. That's right. right. <laughs> really saturated. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh my God. They do it all the time. And partly because one thing I love to do is impressions of other people. Oh Yeah. I do it constantly. I do it with students, in fact, all the time. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like to have a lot of fun with the students. And so, yeah, I just, I pay attention to their body language and the things, their mannerisms. And so it's just a personal, like, entertainment for me. And mm-hmm. probably every couple weeks, I'll say, all right, you know, I'm going to do an impersonation of someone. <laughs> you guys have to guess who it is. And then I'll do it. And wow. you know, yeah, so it's something I do regularly. Um, whether this is why people do imp- impersonations of me or not, um, the standard one is just someone like hysterically cracking up. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> that's the impersonation. That's the universal impersonation of me. Oh, nice. <laughs> they, they, have they have they come in as dressed as you? No, but I got to tell you, over the years, it's been eerie. There have been two students that looked very much like me. One, it was kind of scary. They were like, oh, there's this freshman that is here and she looks just like you. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Probably like vaguely. And I went down the hallway and looked in this class that she was in. And it was like looking in a mirror. It was it was eerie. <laughs> it's a lot weirder. And so I was like, oh wow. And so they brought her down after the class to meet me. And and it's this like kind of weird moment where you're looking at each other and it's like, huh. and so and, and you're like, I used to look like you, and she's like, Oh, I and I and this is what I look forward to. And you're like, exactly, you're kind of exactly. Yeah. And so, so we we look at each other and and you know, it's like, oh wow, okay. And then we found out that we have the exact same birthday. Oh, <laughs> like, what? You are making that up. And she's like, no. So that was like, mm, what's going on here? Some other worldly shit. <laughs> yeah. And then there's various, you know, celebrities that people will say, oh, you look like so-and-so, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so who would they say on that one? One that came up recently that I don't know who this is. You might know. Um, I can look it up, but it's the it's an actress that is on the show Wednesday. 
Oh, okay. I don't. I, I haven't been watching that, so I don't. Uh, and I can I can see the um, the resemblance. It's um, Ricky Lindholm. Oh yes, I know who that is. Okay. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. I see it. Yeah. Like, All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, another question. Uh, what's a great movie and what's a terrible movie? Oh, my gosh. There's so many great movies. Of course, I like a lot of foreign films and in mm. one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, there's, gosh, I have a favorite from every category. Sure. Um, but one of my favorites is is Hitchcock's Rope. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's been a while, but yes. Yeah, I mean, talk about, I mean, God, just the classic quintessential suspense movie. Right. And and just how how slowly it moves and how drawn out it is and yeah. uh, what a character study. Yeah. That's all. Well, and you're not telling what the kind of the key, what makes it, what kind of makes that movie stand out. Oh, is that they start the movie by strangling someone with this piece of rope. Uh-huh. And, and and it's these two college students, although they look much older in that right. movie. I mean, you know, in in, in the 40s, it was yeah, like, right, right. college students were in their 30s. <laughs> college basically. student in a three-piece suit. Yeah, of course. And then they, uh, just because they find it titillating, hide the body in a trunk and then decide they're going to host a dinner party and turn the trunk into the dining table and invite a bunch of kind of provocative people over and and have this you know exciting macabre evening where they're eating on the this table that's essentially the funeral pyre so to speak of this guy that they just murdered classmate that they had just murdered yeah and um and then every and and he was supposed to be a guest Mm -hmm. as well so throughout the night everyone's wondering like where is he and what could have happened to him and why you know why isn't he here it's very odd and then one of the college professors is probing more and more and one of the two guys involved in the strangulation of this classmate is getting more and more nervous and so he's cracking under pressure and then in the end of course he 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 gets to him and the truth comes out yeah. So super suspenseful. Yeah. Um, well, and it. the other part of that is is that it's 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 meant to appear like it's one continuous shot. Yeah, that's right. Oh my so gosh, they, that one that one shot where the maid is in the kitchen and the door is swinging back and forth, and yeah. you hammers the long shot down. Oh gosh, it's, yeah. it's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, my one of my favorite foreign films is called Monsieur Ir. It looks like Monsieur Hire, H I R E. Okay. It's about this kind of um, misanthropic guy. Well, that's not really fair to call him that. Um, uh, hermetic guy mm-hmm. who um, is a bit um, of a sociopath. And he uh, falls in love with this woman that he sees across the way in another apartment building through the window and basically has these voyeuristic tendencies oh boy. and watches her and falls in love with her through the window. 
Mm-hmm. And she, at some point, um, notices that he is watching her. And uh, again, similar in, in, in the kind of the Hitchcockian uh, vein, um, is intrigued by this and then deliberately kind of leads him on and pursues things with him and and um, as as uh, sensual as it sounds, the the real plot twist behind all of it is her boyfriend murdered someone and she realizes very quickly that oh wait a second if this guy can see me and see everything he saw the murder and so i've got to seduce him so that i can cover for my boyfriend who's going to then be charged with murder and so again it's just these these um movies that that really take time to unfold but have these multi-layered plots and um su- surprises so and then of course uh, uh, one of my favorite comedies is coming to america <laughs> of course <laughs> it's still it's still amazing i think i have every line in that movie memory <laughs> <laughs> I, there's just so much that's good in that, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I there's too many. There's like too many. I, I the just it's almost like and it, obviously this is going to not make any sense on an on an audio podcast, but when he's just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> at the end of the sexual <laughs> chocolate performance. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. Now, what about a terrible movie? Oh, a terrible movie! Oh, geez, so many of those too. Uh, this now, you I might offend someone. Um, Gili with Ben Affleck and, <laughs> and jo, jo, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible, classic, terrible movie. Yeah, how I even saw that? I think I must have seen that like on an airplane. Oh, sure, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's- that's a good one. Do you have a favorite book? So I'm a big fan of the Norwegian author Newt Hampson, K-N-U-T Hampson. And um, oh gosh, any of his books um, I love, but uh, probably my favorite of his is a book called Hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, hard to, de- hard to describe, but. Um, are these novels? They are. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Are they like like super. Are they like big like thick? No, no, oh, okay. no. They're 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 fairly um, accessible, um, and yeah, just things that really draw you in. And I, I guess in in now that I'm talking about it, saying it out loud in movies like these books, I I like things that slowly unravel mm-hmm. and really capture your attention. And I, I'm a fairly patient person, so. Mm-hmm. I have the patience to wait it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for for the the grand finale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You know, you traveled to a lot of places, but where's someone that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Oh my god, so many. Uh next on my on my personal travel list has long been South Africa. I've got mm. friends in Johannesburg and um I'd really really love to go visit them. So 
if I can carve out the time necessary, even just to fly there, God, there's like no direct quick way, efficient way to get there besides, mm-hmm. you know, multiple stops in other countries. Um, but I would really love to, to see Cape Town and, and um, visit friends there and, and, and spend some time with them. Do you have a, well, this would be an interesting one. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Well, I'm not into karaoke. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the only time I have done karaoke was in Asia because it is very much a thing. Yeah. And um, all of that was in Chinese. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I will sing some Chinese karaoke. And one of my favorite um, Chinese pop artists is a guy named Zhou Jelun, and he goes by J. Chow or J. Joe. Okay. Uh, so anything by him. There's another guy named Ashin. I like his stuff. Um, David Tao. <laughs> so only only karaoke in Chinese. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> that is a very specific thing, but very cool. <laughs> That's hilarious. Here, so it, this is related. This is going to backtrack a sec, but related to the movie question, what yeah. do you have a favorite in theater movie experience? Yeah, that would be in. Oh God, what was this called? Um, I'm not in. I haven't been in a movie theater in a long time, mm-hmm. and any of these where it's like they'll bring you food and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't lay down and eat and watch something in in, a, in public. I'd rather do that in the comfort of my own home. Sure. Um, but uh, there used to be, God, it was called like, cin- oh, it's called Cine Classics. It was this independent movie house on the Lower East Side. And they do all these great like old black and white movies. And um, oh, no, okay, there's that. But also Webster does a film series Mm-hmm. And they'll do all kinds of, of of obscure movies. Like there's an Indian filmmaker named Satyajit Ray. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I know who this is. You know who that is? Yes. Yeah. And they'll do like, like stuff like that. Like, oh, this is going to be a whole weekend of like Satyajit Ray yeah. films. And mm-hmm. sometimes they bring in like live Indian musicians. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, come on. And it's like $5 to go to this, to these movies series. Yeah. I mean, yes. So stuff like that is definitely more my speed. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's cool. Is is there a because uh, they're in like down the street from from where I'm at at Mizzou is like our our art house theater. Yeah. Is there is there one in St. Louis? Yeah, there's several. There's several. There's one that was like an old like Shriners like Moolah theater mm. that was converted into a movie theater, and then there's um, one called the High Point. And they're, you know, these old, old movie houses that they've maintained. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, if I was going to go see a movie, that's where I would go. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but, oh gosh, I really should get to that Webster film series. They also did another, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Peter Greenaway movies. And so. Well, um, uh, do, do you know the name of any of them? Yeah, like The Pillow Book is one. Um, you should definitely check it out. Okay. Yeah. Great cool. music and great, um, geez, just great, uh, 
plot lines in in all of those movies. Yeah. Okay. What is the origin of your last name? It's German. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hence my my work ethic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, German. And then my first name obviously is very Irish. Yeah. And Irish. And then we have a fair amount of English in our family ancestry. So gotcha. Have you been to to Europe to visit any of the places where your origins are? I have I have been to Europe to all of those places to England, Ireland, and Germany. Um Ireland is where we have like more known family roots. And so I've been to some of those places. I'd be interesting uh, when I think about like going to see like family roots in Germany. I think about the Chevy Chase European vacation. <laughs> <laughs> when they go to that German family's house and it's the wrong, you know. Yeah. That's, what you, that's what you think is going to happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, last couple of questions. First one is the strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. God. A friend of mine, this is not that long ago, not, not recent, but I'm going to say seven years ago. Mm-hmm. He's a percussionist and composer and decided he wanted to write a trio piece for him, for him, himself, another guy that we know, and me. And um, it was this like eight part um, piece, um, eight movement piece, and each one uh, had theatrical elements to it, Mm -hmm. where I had to like do all kinds of choreography and costumes and things, and just super, super bizarre, so much so, including like a remote control, like remote controlled screaming skeleton head <laughs> all right <laughs> so uh-huh. so odd that the yeah. audience i'm sure was left going like what the hell is this even yeah. uh-huh then it was videoed and i remember at some point showing it to my parents and my mom who's you know typical your typical mom like everything you guys do is great kids do is great like going this is Aaron. This is horrible. Like this is this is like the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and were, were you nodding? I mean, what was your reaction when she I'm said that? I'm a little mad that she said that because there were some good moments. In it. <laughs> I would call it horrible. I would certainly call it bizarre. Yes. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> Do I need to take out the screaming skeleton head? Is that they come out of this, or is that an intricate, integral part of this piece? I mean, there's there's too many things that would fit exactly what you just said. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was another part where one of the guys ha- uh, had to put a bed sheet around his body and come fly flapping around and try to try to hit the instruments with the pieces of fabric. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> okay. <laughs> Where you go, was that necessary? Um, 
one of the opening scenes was like one of the guys he he came out late and we had to act exasperated you know like oh hey you know he's not on time and and he came out in a, in a huff in like a business suit and then we got ready to play and then he's like oh hold on a second and he takes his jacket off and his pants off and he's wearing shorts and this you know whatever and then we we get ready to start and it's like wait hold on a second and this goes on and on he keeps stripping down until he's in like a bathing suit <laughs> I, I gotcha so it literally is one of those pieces where the audience is going oh it's, it's gonna be like this yeah it's where they're like how long is this again <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, um, my God. oh 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 and uh-huh. i had to play Oh, a rattle, quote unquote, that was a bag of the composer's knee bones, actual knee bones, because he had had a knee replacement and they gave him the bones and he turned them into this rattle. So Mm. there was that, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kind of glad you didn't lead with that. Like I'm kind of agreeing with your mom on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's fascinating. The things yeah. we do, the things we do as percussionists. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. All right. And lastly, Aaron, what one piece of art, and it could be any medium, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, anything, has impact has impacted you the most recently. I mean, there's so many, I feel like that about so many things. I, I, I'm going to say it's this, it it was a, a moment in time okay. where uh, to try to trim the story down um, to its kind of essence, uh, a former student of mine who I taught from the time he was, uh, gosh, maybe like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, who was just, you know, one of those students you have that's just very, very special, very gifted, um, that you just feel you have so much faith in, who's so earnest and works so hard and you know is just destined to do great things. And and so I had this very special, you know, relationship with him and his parents. And um, he just continued to just blossom and become this amazing musician an amazing performer and he went off to new york and he went and got his undergrad degree and his master's degree and he's playing all over and he's doing all you know bigger things than i ever dreamed he would do and he's arranging now and conducting and playing and i'm just you know like i my heart is just like bursting with pride for him and and i just don't get to see him enough because he's there and I'm here and, and we're both very busy and um, just, you know, someone that has just really had an impact on me as a teacher and, and um, as, as a mentor to him. And then as uh, now a, a colleague out of nowhere, a flight of mine uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago um, was canceled. And I was at the airport here in the just the crack of dawn with almost no one there. And out of the middle of nowhere, I feel this tap on my back and it's him. And he was randomly like routed through here. And we both were just in this 
fraction of a second routed to the same airport in the same little window of time. And it just, and, and when I turned around and saw it was him, I was just bawling. <laughs> it's just like, ah, it's you. And, and in that, you know, it's just, God, it's the embodiment of what I do and who he was and my relationship with him and who he's become and all the things he's doing and everything just personified right there in that moment in time. And so it's overwhelming and for him too. And so it was just like, I didn't, like, I didn't want that moment to end. I didn't want him to leave. I didn't want to get on my flight. And I know that sounds like on, on some level kind of odd and it's actually very as innocent as portrayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it was just like, oh my God, you know, just someone that just those, that, that moment captured where it's like, these are the figures in our lives that impact us and are a part of the framework and the fabric of who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, um, our successes, their successes. God. And so obviously we both got on our respective flights. I came back home after that. It's just like, yet again, it's one of those things that we talked about earlier that just fuels you and fills you up to continue to do the things that we do to the degree and the level that we do them and, and that we recognize the impact that we have on lives as educators and teachers and performers, that it 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 is lasting and uh, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um I I totally get that moment that like the the with the instant where you're like this needs to last as long as humanly possible. Yeah. When you know like it's a special yeah. Yeah, it's just oh my god. No, don't. <laughs> and I think it's also because of the distance, you know, it's like this is someone that was the you know the relationship was so intimate and then you're so it's so disparate after yeah. that so it's not like oh i could you know go check out his next gig or he could call me i mean certainly yes we could call each other but you know your lives move on and as they should and and you you know continue to do the things that you do in your lives and and that's how it should be um but when you have those moments to reconnect, I think that's that's the thing that you want to hold on to because it's such just an amazing feeling. Um, because we, you know, I for one feel like we don't know. We certainly we all have our beliefs, but we don't know definitively what happens when we're gone. And we do know that we're here right now. And so to 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 project forward and think, you know, what were my contributions and did I have an impact and, you know, what will endure. And, and then you have that face to face. It's like, Oh God, this is, this is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we will end on that. 
Okay. All right. Erin, this has been this has been a, a real treat. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for reaching out. This is amazing. You're so wonderful to speak with. And I have to follow your podcast now. I mean, this was you're great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate yes, it. Yes. Yes. Well, that was an absolute delight. I agree with Erin about her laugh, which is pretty distinctive for her, as well as being a good point of reference. I thank her a great deal for her time and wish her the best of luck in upcoming endeavors, and maybe we'll run into each other one of these days in this state of Missouri. This week's rave is live music, specifically a concert of the group Take Six, which took place last Thursday night on the campus of the University of Missouri. Take Six is a group I've long been familiar with and one I'd long wanted to hear live. A number of friends have told me over the years that they were one of the best live acts they'd ever seen, and now you can add me to that list. I've also had them on my mind, as I'd mentioned a few weeks ago in this same segment, when they performed as part of Paul Simons' songwriting prize concert on CBS, which featured them performing his work, Homeless. The group consists of Claude V. McKnight III on first tenor, Mark Kibble on second tenor, David Thomas on third tenor, Joey Kibble on fourth tenor, Christian Dentley on baritone, and Alvin Chia on vocal bass. All members of the group are involved in some way in the arranging of music, and a number of them partake in producing vocal percussion on certain selections. What's very obvious from listening to them over the years is the ridiculously high level of the arrangements they create. They can sing pretty much any style, but it's vocal jazz that is their forte, and particularly the very extensive chords above 7th, 9th, and 11th, and 13th, and all that that they create. The arrangements are the perfect combination of being very obviously challenging and sounding extremely tight and somehow easy when they do it. On the front end of the show, they performed a couple of selections that involved what was, to me, the best-sounding vocal rhythm section I've ever heard. Alvin Chia's low and deep bass worked perfectly in tandem with a passed-around percussion part that provided the deepest, strongest groove I've heard in a long time, drum set and bass players included. It was that good. Additionally, there were arrangements with the tenor singers that were, no joke, in the stratosphere. It was both super high and perfectly in tune. You were honestly just kind of shaking your head in disbelief at how good it was. Additionally, they were excellent showmen. Unfortunately, they were working with a very small crowd for the venue they were in. They shouldn't have been in our other large venue. But that didn't stop them at all. They both included and hyped up the crowd completely, and we were eating it up. They went for 90 minutes or so and sang an action-packed set without a pause, though they did do an encore at the end without their microphones. Among others, they covered Earth, Wind & Fire, Eric Clapton, Al Jarreau, did a number of originals, and a lot of other selections. 
As mentioned, my personal favorite was Homeless, the Paul Simon tune that is done on the Graceland album by Ladysmith Black Mombazo, who they shouted out. It's a personal favorite anyway, and they put their special jazz-inflected arrangement onto it, but just the right amount. It was both subtle and specific to them, but completely honored the original. It was an all-night masterwork and a complete pleasure. If they are near you, you need to check out Take Six. There is no way you will be disappointed. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then. Thank you.